0: Chapter seventy three to eighty one of Tristram Shandy Volume four. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy Gentlemen. Volume four Last Volume by Lawrence Stern chapter 73 as i never had any intention of beginning the digression i am making all this preparation for till i come to the 74th chapter i have this chapter to put to whatever use i think proper i have 20 this moment ready for it i could write my chapter of buttonholes in it or my chapter of pishes which should follow them or my chapter of knots In case their reverences have done with them, they might lead me into mischief. The safest way is to follow the track of the learned, and raise objections against what I have been writing, though I declare beforehand I know no more than my heels how to answer them. And first, it may be said, there is a pelting kind of thesitical satire, as black as the very ink tis wrote with and, by the by, whoever says so is indebted to the muster-master-general of the Grecian army, for suffering the name of so ugly and foul-mouthed a man as Thercites, to continue upon his role, for it has furnished him with an epithet. In these productions he will urge all the personal washings and scrubbings upon earth do a sinking genius no sort of good, but just the contrary, inasmuch as the dirtier the fellow is, the better generally he succeeds in it. To this I have no other answer, at least ready, but that the archbishop of Benevento wrote his nasty romance of the Galatea, as all the world knows, in a purple coat, waistcoat, and purple pair of breeches, and that the penance set him of writing a commentary upon the book of the Revelations, as severe as it was looked upon by one part of the world, was far from being deemed so by the other, upon the single account of that investment. Another objection to all this remedy is its want of universality, for as much as the shaving part of it, upon which so much stress is laid by an unalterable law of nature, excludes one half of the species entirely from its use. All I can say is, that female writers, whether of England or of France, must e'en go without it. As for the Spanish ladies, I am in no sort of distress." Chapter seventy four. The seventy fourth chapter is come at last, and brings nothing with it but a sad signature of How our pleasures slip from under us in this world. For in talking of my digression, I declare before heaven I have made it. What a strange creature is mortal man, said she. "'Tis very true," said I, "'but twere better to get all these things out of our heads, and return to my uncle Toby." CHAPTER 75 When my uncle Toby and the corporal had marched down to the bottom of the avenue, they recollected their business lay the other way, so they faced about and marched up straight to Mrs. Wadman's door. "'I warrant, your honour said the corporal, touching his Montero cap with his hand as he passed him in order to give a knock at the door. My uncle Toby, contrary to his invariable way of treating his faithful servant, said nothing good or bad. The truth was, he had not altogether marshalled his ideas. He wished for another conference, and as the corporal was mounting up the three steps before the door, he hemmed twice— a portion of my Uncle Toby's most modest spirits fled at each expulsion towards the corporal. He stood with the wrapper of the door suspended for a full minute in his hand. He scarce knew why. Bridget stood perdu within, with her finger and her thumb upon the latch, benumbed with expectation, and Mrs. Wadman, with an eye ready to be deflowered again, sat breathless behind the window-curtain of her bedchamber, watching their approach. "'Trim!' said my uncle Toby, but as he articulated the word, the minute expired, and Trim let fall the wrapper. My uncle Toby, perceiving that all hopes of a conference were knocked on the head by it, whistled Lilla Bolero. CHAPTER 76 As Mrs. Bridget's finger and thumb were upon the latch, the corporal did not knock as often as perchance Your Honour's tailor—I might have taken my example something nearer home, for I owe mine some five-and-twenty pounds at least, and wonder at the man's patience. But this is nothing at all to the world. Only tis a cursed thing to be in debt, and there seems to be a fatality in the exchequers of some poor princes, particularly those of our house, which no economy can bind down in irons. For my own part, I am persuaded there is not any one prince, prelate, pope, or potentate, great or small upon the earth, more desirous in his heart of keeping straight with the world than I am, or who takes more likely means for it. I never give above half a guinea, or walk with boots, or cheapen toothpicks, or lay out a shilling upon a band-box the year round and for the six months I am in the country, I am upon so small a scale, that with all the good temper in the world, I outdo Rousseau a bar length, for I keep neither man or boy, or horse, or cow, or dog, or cat, or anything that can eat or drink, except a thin, poor piece of a vestal, to keep my fire in, and who has generally as bad an appetite as myself. But if you think this makes a philosopher of me, I would not, my good people, give a rush for your judgments." true philosophy, but there is no treating the subject whilst my uncle is whistling the Let us go into the house." CHAPTER 77. Blank page. CHAPTER 78. Blank page. CHAPTER 79. Two blank paragraphs. "'You shall see the very place, madam,' said my uncle Toby. Mrs. Wadman blushed, looked towards the door, turned pale, blushed slightly again, recovered her natural colour, blushed worse than ever, which, for the sake of the unlearned reader, I translate thus, Lord, I cannot look at it. What would the world say if I looked at it? I should drop down if I looked at it. I wish I could look at it. There can be no sin in looking at it. I will look at it." Whilst all this was running through Mrs. Wadman's imagination, my uncle Toby had risen from the sofa, and got to the other side of the parlour-door, to give Trim an order about it in the passage. "'I believe it is in the garret,' said my uncle Toby. "'I saw it there, and please, your honour this morning,' answered Trim. "'Then prithee step directly for it, Trim,' said my uncle Toby, and bring it into the parlour. The corporal did not approve of the orders, but most cheerfully obeyed them. The first was not an act of his will, the second was. So he put on his Montero cap, and went as fast as his lame knee would let him. My Uncle Toby returned into the parlour, and sat himself down again upon the sofa. "'You shall lay your finger upon the place,' said my Uncle Toby. I will not touch it, however,' quoth Mrs. Wadman to herself. This requires a second translation. It shows what little knowledge is got by mere words. We must go up to the first springs. Now, in order to clear up the mist which hangs upon these three pages, I must endeavour to be as clear as possible myself. Rub your hands thrice across your foreheads, blow your noses, cleanse your amunctaries, sneeze, my good people. God bless you. Now give me all the help you can. Chapter 80 As there are fifty different ends, counting all ends in, as well civil as religious, for which a woman takes a husband, the first sets about and carefully weighs, then separates and distinguishes in her mind which of all that number of ends is hers, then by discourse, enquiry, argumentation, and inference, she investigates and finds out whether she has got hold of the right one. And if she has, then, by pulling it gently this way and that way, she further forms a judgment whether it will not break in the drawing. The imagery under which Slockenburgius impresses this upon the reader's fancy, in the beginning of his third decad, is so ludicrous that the honour I bear the sex will not suffer me to quote it, otherwise it is not destitute of humour. She first, saith Burgess, stops the ass and holding his halter in her left hand, lest he should get away, she thrusts her right hand into the very bottom of his pannier to search for it. For what? You'll not know the sooner, quoth slawken Burgess, for interrupting me. I have nothing, good lady, but empty bottles, says the ass. I'm loaded with tripes, says the second. And thou art little better, quoth she to the third for nothing is there in thy panniers but truncos and pantoflees, and so to the fourth and fifth, going on one by one through the whole string, till coming to the ass which carries it, she turns the pannier upside down, looks at it, considers it, samples it, measures it, stretches it, wets it, dries it, then takes teeth both to the warp and weft of it. Of what? For the love of Christ? i am determined answered slorkin burgess that all the powers upon earth shall never wring that secret from my breast chapter eighty one we live in a world beset on all sides with mysteries and riddles and so tis no matter Else it seems strange that nature, who makes everything so well to answer its destination and seldom or never errs, unless for pastime in giving such forms and aptitudes to whatever passes through her hands, that whether she designs for the plough, the caravan, the cart, or whatever other creature she models—be it but an ass's foal—you are sure to have the thing you wanted and yet at the same time should so eternally bungle it as she does, in making so simple a thing as a married man. Whether it is in the choice of the clay, or that it is frequently spoiled in the baking, by an excess of which a husband may turn out too crusty, you know, on one hand, or not enough so, through defect of heat, on the other, or whether this great artificer is not so attentive to the little platonic exigencies of that part of the species, for whose use she is fabricating this—or that her ladyship sometimes scarcely knows what sort of a husband will do—I know not. We will discourse about it after supper. It is enough that neither the observation itself or the reasoning upon it are at all to the purpose, but rather against it since with regard to my uncle Toby's fitness for the married state, nothing was ever better. She had formed him of the best and kindliest clay, had tempered it with her own milk, and breathed into it the sweetest spirit. She had made him all gentle, generous, and humane. She had filled his heart with trust and confidence, and disposed every passage which led to it for the communication of the tenderest offices. She had, moreover, considered the other causes for which matrimony was ordained and accordingly, the donation was not defeated by my Uncle Toby's wound. Now this last article was somewhat apocryphal, and the devil, who was the great disturber of our faiths in the world, had raised scruples in Mrs. Wadman's brain about it, and like a true devil as he was, had done his own work at the same time, by turning my Uncle Toby's virtue thereupon into nothing but empty bottles, tripes, truncoes, and pantoffles." End of chapter seventy three to eighty one